Not a big deal. We're just recording an episode together in the same room for literally the first time in the history of the podcast. What a treat. It's fine. Okay, well, anyway, um, our misery, yeah, I put the recording on. (laughs) Our misery aside, because we always miss stuff, because I never turn the recording, I either turn the recording on too early, and then we don't say anything, and or what always ends up happening is I turn it off, and then we keep talking, and we say stuff that I wish that we'd recorded. Yes. Or we get into it, and you're like, okay, I... I should be recording. Like, this is all good stuff. And we expect the good stuff to continue, but it's still, we all missed everything we wanted. A, all of a sudden, the microphone being on, like, makes us clam up. I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, guys, this is Girl at the Game with both girls at the game in the same room for the first time in eight months. Since we recorded the intro for you guys, we have not seen each other we got in person. <laughs> we got to hug today for the first time. We shared a meal. We worked together. If you're wondering, it was mac and cheese from Trader Joe's, and it was quite good, and it was vegan. So and buffalo chicken nuggets that weren't made weren't of chicken. chicken. No, no, and Brussels sprouts. To all the Brussels sprout haters out there. And you know what is funny? I mean, mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. Like, what really could be better than that? The Brussels sprouts were my favorite part of the meal. Mine too. <laughs> It was good. It was good. And everything was, like, healthy. So I don't feel too guilty for all the chocolate we then ate. Yeah. (laughs) Before (laughs) and after the meal. We pre-gamed with chocolate and we deserted with chocolate. Um, But anyway, so, guys, this is Girl at the Game. Girl at the Game is brought to you in partnership with CLNS Media. We love them. They're amazing. And today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We had a whole episode ready for you guys last week. But the funny thing that often happens is, like, we'll be recording, and I maybe it's just that we choose to record on, like, a bad day, because I feel like every time we record, as soon as we record, all this breaking news drops, and then, like, all, immediately our episode is outdated. Yeah, it's a problem we've been running into, so we apologize. That's why, with so much going on last week, you didn't hear from us. It's not because we aren't trying to put up content for you guys. It's because, literally, the day after we record, sometimes the day of... It was like an hour later. <laughs> ...news breaks that just... It makes everything totally irrelevant, and we have to just toss it, so... Hopefully that's not the case this time, right? They can't hire Alex Cora twice. Well, they did hire Alex Cora twice. They can't hire Alex Cora for a third time. Yeah. So so I feel like, obviously, the first thing we have to talk about is, like, Cora's back. Cora's back. Introductory press conference today. It was about an hour, an hour and a half long. I played Um, it for Al on speakerphone while she was driving to my house. (laughs) It was great because it made the ride a breeze. Oh, man. It wouldn't be Massachusetts if you didn't get stuck in at least one rotary traffic. As we were saying, Cora Presser, Cora came in, was very apologetic. It didn't seem very forced to me. Seems contrite. Yeah, Alex Cora really always has been the type to really hold himself accountable to the media, admit his wrongdoing as it is. And I didn't expect any different this time unless the team kind of gave him a cap on what he could and couldn't talk about. And I feel like he was pretty open. He got asked a lot of tough questions, I feel like. 
I think the biggest thing here is that they knew that if they were going to hire Cora back, they couldn't also then shy away from like having him face the music. They leaked on Friday that he was going to be back. And they kind of put him out there in front of the Boston media firing squad. Like, all right, so if we're going to have you back, we just got to get it over with and you're going to have to face the music. They knew that just from a PR standpoint, the easiest way to turn the page, as they love to say, was to put him out in front of the media immediately and let them bombard him with questions about every possible angle of the impropriety and just have him own it. And I think for the most part, like, look, again, I'm still not super sold on this whole situation, but I do think he was contrite. I do think he feels bad. You know, the one sticking point for me that made me uneasy was... So, like, Jason Mastrodonato of the Herald, who I've known for a long time, asked if Cora knew that what he was doing was wrong in 2017 or if it took getting caught and disciplined to actually learn the lesson. And this was the one question to me where I did not like Cora's answer. I really hesitated to answer it. I remember... Well, I, I think there was, was a the glitch. one question... That might be true. Um, again, I was driving yeah. in the car, but it was the one question where... It's kind of funny where he was like, wait, can you repeat the question? And it was like, oh, God, Jason has to repeat this question. Yeah, this specific question. I mean, look, obviously Red Sox pressers are all being done virtually right now. So it's a very real possibility. I mean, Al and I have endured countless Uber conference and Zoom glitches in recording this specific podcast. So you can imagine that it's a lot harder when you're dealing with like the entire media on a call trying to get a virtual press conference up and running smoothly. But it was kind of an uncomfortable moment where Cora said, I didn't hear the last part, can you repeat it? And I kind of felt like, and you, I think, agree, that he was kind of stalling to figure out what he was going to say, because this is the kind of question that doesn't really have a good answer regardless. Either it means that he only feels bad because he got caught, or he knew what he was doing was wrong in 2017 and he did it anyway. And so in this entire situation, which is kind of an unwinnable situation for him regardless, this was the most, to me, unwinnable question. Look, some people aren't going to be satisfied no matter what his answer is. Because his answer was, quote, honestly, I can only speak how I felt this year. He went on to say, it's a tough lesson. All I can do right now is apologize and get better and move forward. He went on to say, I'm not proud of it. One of the things that you do as a leader is put these guys in a situation to be successful. And the way I did it there was not the right way. And I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. I'm sorry. He said he was sorry like 10 plus times throughout this hour long presser. And that was great. The thing that is frustrating, I guess, is the right word. Not, I don't know. The thing that is so impossible about this situation is that Actions obviously speak louder than words, but the problem is that his actions are always going to be called into question because of his previous action, you know? So he can say he's sorry all he wants, and that's great, and he should say sorry. But at a certain point, I mean, it's like dealing with being in a relationship with a cheating spouse. Like, at a certain point, you either have to decide, okay, so I'm going to trust that they're not going to do it anymore, and I'm going to take them back and give them another chance, or you need to cut ties completely and just move on separately But you can't have it both ways. And like, I think that's the biggest thing is, all right, so he's apologized multiple times. He's promising he's going to do better. The Red Sox are giving him another chance. And so I guess we're doing this. I don't know what really to say to people who just demand that he's going to apologize, apologize, apologize for a million years. What do you want him to do? 
I mean, he served his suspension. A team chose to hire him. He sat in front of the media and took questions. He's going to be under watchful eye. I mean, I don't think the Red Sox really want to be involved in cheating scandals. Like, this is not something that anyone enjoys. They've decided they're bringing him back. They are the spouse giving the cheater another chance. So you either decide you're still a Red Sox fan or you're not. That's totally up to you. And then just like, let's please turn the page because I don't think anyone wants to live in this chapter forever. Right. And to be fair, and something that makes it more palatable for me is like this cheating spouse analogy. It's not even like your spouse cheated on you. It's like they cheated cheated on their previous girlfriend. And like... Obviously, there was an investigation into the Red Sox as well, but Cora himself was exonerated from any wrongdoing. I mean, what you think about that and whether or not you believe it is up to your own interpretation, but it is fishy, right? Like, 2017, they're involved in this scandal in Houston. Astros win the World Series. Cora comes to Boston. Boston has a scandal of its own after they win their own World Series in 2018. So one thing I thought was pretty interesting was, I forget who asked the question, but it was about why he didn't why do it. he didn't do it in <laughs> yeah. Boston. Why he didn't bring that method to Boston. Right. Yeah. And he said, kind of took a hit, I guess, <laughs> on the Astros or gave the greatest compliment ever to the 2018 Red Sox. But he says... I didn't feel like we needed to do something like that here, honestly. I know people won't believe me. I just decided in that offseason not to bring it here. It wasn't worth it. And if that's the truth, hell yeah. So I was focused on that too. You know, it's funny. Like, So Al and I are sitting in the same room right now for the first time in ages. And we're both looking at my Twitter thread of all of the quotes from this presser. And that was the quote that she and I both were fixated on. And I remember when it happened on the phone, like I said to her, I was like, that's kind of a low-key burn to Houston. Like, oh, the Red Sox didn't need the help. Cora is clearly self-aware enough to know, like, he's apologizing to people who either don't give a crap about his apology, aren't going to believe his apology, aren't going to trust him. Like, he knows the deck is stacked against him here. He knows he's coming back to a very different team. He knows that things are different this time around. He knows he's going to be, like, under serious watchful eye from Chaim Bloom. All this kind of stuff. This was a very interesting quote for that exact reason, Al, that you said. But also the thing that stood out to me about this quote from the suggestive side was, you know, him him saying, I didn't feel we needed to do something like that here. To me, that acknowledges going back to the previous quote that we read from that today is he did know that what he was doing wasn't above board because he said, well, I came to this team and I didn't feel the need. Like he said something like that here. I mean, if you knew it was above board or you thought you could do it without getting caught either way maybe you would have brought it here. You know, maybe there would have been trash can banging at Fenway Park in 2018. Like that to me suggests that to an extent, he did know that what he was doing was wrong. I mean, obviously, look, he's a grown man. He knew that they were breaking the rules in some way, shape or form. He's been around this game way too long to know otherwise. By his own admission, he's been around the game since he was four years old. You know, he played in the, I mean, he's on, he was on the freaking 2007 World Series team with the Boston Red Sox. He knew about the 2017 Apple Watch thing. You know, all the teams got strict memos. And Cora even said, you know, when I sat down with them at the beginning of spring training 2018, we all got the updated memo from Manfred. Like, we knew that the rules were stricter. We knew that the Red Sox already had a first strike against them. Like, they told me, like, no bullshit here. 
you know, I remember the press conference too about this situation and they were talking about how they had talked to everybody at spring training in 2018 about the rules or 2019. And <laughs> they literally refused to answer when they said, we spoke to everyone. And people were like, so you talked to Cora. Do you remember that? They were just like very purposefully like, well, we addressed it with the necessary parties. Yeah. <laughs> Which is clearly like you sat down your new manager, you told him he needed to be on his best behavior, and then they did not do it anyway. So Cora knew... Obviously, if it was allowed to have trash can banging, every team would be banging on a freaking trash can. It would be like a novelty thing. They would be selling ice cream in a trash can at every ballpark as like a $15 souvenir item, the way you can buy ice cream in a Red Sox cap at Fenway. He knew to an extent this was wrong. You know, maybe he didn't think he'd get caught. Maybe he didn't think the punishment would be as severe as it was. He knew that this was not okay. And I think the point at this point is, all right, so... We can hem and haw about it all we want, or we can just kind of say, all right, he apologized a bunch of times. We shall see what we shall see. I'm still not going to, like, haul out the welcome wagon. I'm also not going to treat him like one of the worst people in the game. And I also think the biggest thing is you can't only punish managers and field managers, GMs and field managers, if players are found guilty, because then the players aren't going to stop. I mean, look at the Astros. They found that it was literally, quote, a player-driven scheme. And then they didn't punish a single player except for Carlos Beltran, who was no longer a player and was no longer on the team. To me, that's not justice. And to most players around the league, that was not justice. And especially when Cora takes so much of the blame, like it's so easy to throw the guy under the bus who's no longer yeah. with you. And it's like, I have a girlfriend. She lives in Canada. Yeah, literally. My whole thing with this is I'm glad Alex Cora's back. I like him as a manager of this team. I like covering him. He's accountable. And honestly, if MLB and fans of this team want to look down upon him, all I think I have to say is like, Honestly, get off your high horse because if this were <laughs> that your team's serious, probably cheating too. That's what I'm saying. If this were that serious to the league, there's technology that can be established to where you don't even need to have signs in general for people to even steal. Like you can mic up a guy in center field and have him communicate with the broadcast booth, but you're telling me there's no technology to make it so that a pitcher and a catcher can communicate effectively without giving way to signs and what pitch is about to be thrown like it's horseshit honestly it's just turned into such a circus for something that would be so avoidable if MLB actually wanted to prevent this from happening and clearly they don't give a shit but don't cry when it's a PR nightmare for you if Major League Baseball actually cares about cheating they would investigate every allegation of cheating it took, like, multiple teams for them to take allegations against the Astros seriously. I mean, they had formal complaints that filed against them by, like, the Indians and the A's. And in 2018, the Red Sox were warned about them ahead of the ALCS. And then there was that whole thing, remember, with the guy that was taking pictures in the dugout who was, like, wearing an Astros press pass. Major League Baseball can't pick and choose when it comes to cheating teams. When these pieces in The Athletic came out by my pal Evan... The thing that frustrated me was like there were multiple anonymous sources that were quoted in his article saying like I know of at least five teams that do this. It's like okay so you know that people around the league are talking. The Yankees were named in that first article over 70 times. It's like all right so you know that other teams are having fingers pointed at them. You know that players like 
Chris Young, who was on the Red Sox for a while, had said, you know, other teams do this too. It's not like it's a conspiracy theory. It's not like we're two Boston homers saying like, well, your team does it too. Like, to be clear, we're saying that the league shouldn't condone cheating by our team or anybody else's team. But if you're only investigating two teams when you know that there are allegations against others, you can't then turn around and wonder like, why is there still cheating in the league? Well, because you didn't do a comprehensive sweep, Robert. If you have like 15 holes in your house and it's raining and you only plug one of them, You can't then wonder why your house is still leaking water because you didn't do a thorough job. Like, you have no one to blame but yourself for this stuff going on the same way they have no one to blame for themselves for the fact that we here a year since the first allegations against the Astros are still talking about this. The reason we're still talking about this is because there was not proper justice served to the appropriate parties and it was mishandled. And that's why fans around the league are so angry and that's why Boston's going to be stuck with this. There's the saying, no press is bad press, but MLB is, like, living running and with dying it. by that. And it's like, hey, I mean, yeah, no bad press. This is a big story. But, like, you still want some good press, right? And any good press that they have, they somehow find a way to ruin it. Like, Tatis oh. with the 3-0. and Instead of talking about the fact that Tatis hits grand slams, we're talking about whether or not it violates an unwritten rule that he should swing on a 3-0 count with or the bases loaded. Or they're announcing huge awards amid a major presidential election i thought it was a joke like obviously look no red Sox were nominated for awards this year so uh you know i was not super concerned because i don't need another reminder that mookie betts is no longer on the boston red Sox. also shout out to mookie he has now won five consecutive gold gloves and in the last five years four out of five seasons he won a silver slugger i think the only year that he didn't win was 2017 so he's my age and he has five consecutive gold gloves you know that's exactly the kind of person that you should trade away good job um yeah i you know i don't want to harp too much on this but i did think it was kind of crazy that you know the biggest election in american history we're not going to get too political here but everyone knows this election was crazy and the proof is in the fact that more people voted than ever before and major league baseball is like hey you know what we should do the week of the election like every single day of this election that we know isn't going to be called on the night of the election because it's during a pandemic millions of people did mail-in ballots I think what we'll do is like we'll space out the MLB awards throughout the week so that they're totally lost in the chaos of the election. Not to mention like the Red Sox really benefited from it oh, too yeah. because Pennsylvania, they're like, oh, okay, Pennsylvania goes for Biden. This is the perfect time to leak to John Heyman that the Alex Cora is coming back. Right. So then that obviously <laughs> Friday news dump of epic proportions literally like that's on the west wing tv show they would call it take out the trash day where you try and sneak in a bunch of stories you don't want to get a lot of attention because back in the day before like big you know online publications columnists only had a certain amount of space to fill they'd give all of the stories that they didn't want to be big news out on a friday afternoon so that each columnist only had a certain amount of space anyway it's not really important but you guys get the and the Red Sox tried to do take out the trash day with their new old manager who was just suspended for a year. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, especially because it only proves my claim that I've been saying for the last year of somebody hit Red Sox ownership on the head with a giant stick and they now have amnesia and forgot which fan base their team belongs to because 
<laughs> yep. Are and we not the most dialed in fan base in all of Major League Baseball? Like, and please Boston, explain to me. Never, ever, ever change. I love you so much. I'm blanking on the name of the reporter from the Boston Globe who tweeted this out, but it is the oh, screenshot yeah. is ingrained in my brain and I want a <laughs> tattoo of it. It is a list of the most read articles on the Boston Globe website on Friday, early afternoon, mid-morning, and it is just the political shitstorm. And then number one, Alex Cora rejoins Red Sox. And this was before the Red Sox I love even. This, con- this was before city. they even confirmed. This John was, Heyman this was had leaked, like John only leaked the news at this point. Yeah, and of course, and that's the funniest thing is, like I said, you know, Boston sports fans are rabid. They are a bunch of hungry hyenas during the part of Lion King when Scar's in charge and there's like a drought and there's no food. You really thought you could sneak the rehiring of Alex Cora past Boston Red Sox fans trapped at home during a pandemic who have nothing better to do because their team hasn't played in six weeks than refresh Twitter waiting for manager news? What did you think we were all doing? Knitting? Right. And then... Saved by the bell again today when they roll Cora out oh for my the press God. conference. And first, the Tony LaRusa news breaks. Well, no, which... no. First, they did it at the same time as the Steve Cohen presser for the right? Nets. So you're stacking Cora up against the guy who is now the wealthiest owner in all of pro sports. Steve Cohen's valued at over $14 billion. That puts him above Cranky, above Jerry Jones, and above Fenway Sports Group. They roll Cora out in all his glory in front of Boston media today, um, figuratively, not literally, because it was in a Zoom meeting. But they get saved by the bell because Tony La Russa news breaks that, I mean, last night news had broken about him getting charged with a DUI. We're going to get into this a little more in a little bit. But it comes out that he totally pulled a do-you-know-who-I-am card while getting arrested for a DUI. And then not only that, which we're going to get into this in a little bit as well, but Boston Celtics legend Tommy Heinsohn passes away, age 86. And once that news broke, my timeline on Twitter just flooded. I mean, that's probably because the Celtics are a little bit of my niche, and that's where most of my follows on Twitter are weird Celtics Twitter follows. So between the Tommy news and the Mets stuff going on and the Tony La Russa absurdity... Yeah, again, Saved by the Bell. We should talk about Tony La Russa because this is just such a shit show for Chicago, for the other socks of the league. We're not going to make jokes about this because DUIs are usually an indicator of a more serious problem, you know, especially because this is his second DUI. This is not his first. He had one in 2007. It's just wild that in the same week that you saw... Two teams in Major League Baseball both hiring newly unsuspended people to be managers of teams, which I mean, I'm not I did not look this up, but I will say with some confidence based on the infrequency that managers get suspended and then rehired. This is probably the first time in Major League Baseball history that two people who just served year long suspensions were both rehired within the same week. I'm pretty confident that we can say that that happened. And the Red Sox and the Tigers are still not the team with the craziest managerial hiring because of Tony La Russa. I mean, for starters. Yeah, to paint the picture for you guys. Jerry Reinsdorf. <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, I think we need to give some context because we didn't talk about this at all in our first recording. I mean, for starters, 
Jerry Reinsdorf totally and it actually ties into the AJ Hinch thing because apparently the White Sox Rick Hahn who is the GM of the White Sox wanted to hire AJ Hinch former Astros manager who just came off his suspension for a year he wanted Hinch to the point where somebody discovered on Twitter that the White Sox social staff had actually made graphics for A.J. Hinch. And they realized that because when they announced Tony La Russa instead, and we'll get to how that happened in a second, <laughs> they left the image of A.J. Hinch's signature on the graphic. So it was introducing Tony La Russa. It was Tony La Russa's picture. It was Tony La Russa's name. But they also had put a small thing of what should have been Tony La Russa's signature, but it was still A.J. Hinch's signature, which means kind of the way when they announced Cora in 2017, do you remember they accidentally, when they put up their Snapchat, it showed the date that they had made it in their camera roll, meaning that they had been prepared to announce it for like a week. People on Twitter should be solving oh my murders. God. This all goes back to Major League Baseball being ridiculous because Jimmy of John Boy Media was the one who cracked the Astros cheating scandal. And Major League Baseball really came out and tried to be like, um, yeah, we didn't find sufficient evidence to do this. And it's like, really? Because half of Twitter did. It's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Baseball fans on Twitter know what's up. But anyway, yeah. So they hired Tony Russo, who hasn't managed a major league game since he managed the Cardinals to the 2011 World Series. So news breaks that Tony Larusa was charged for his second DUI the day before his hiring is announced. And that's just when he was charged with the DUI, months after he was actually arrested for the DUI in February. The White Sox knew about this whole thing, but Rick Hahn was overruled by White Sox owner and Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf who was like, no, I think I'd rather have the guy in his mid-70s who hasn't managed in nine years. Talk about getting a younger audience and making baseball appeal to younger fans. Let's roll in this 80-year-old man. I know we said we weren't going to make jokes about DUIs. We're they not. They ruin families. People die. Don't fucking drink and drive. You're a, a millionaire who can afford to call an Uber, like... Or hire a, yeah. Or hire a driver. You don't driver. even need to hire a driver, though you're rich enough. Just call an Uber. But I did chuckle at the fact that how many 76-year-olds do you know that are fit to drive? Never mind still be riding around on booze cruises. I mean, we're not talking, we're not even talking drinking and driving. We're talking straight up driving. Like, my 102-year-old great uncle was driving until like five years ago. But the thing that he did was every time he had to go renew his license, he made them take him out on a driving test to prove that he was still able to handle operating a motor vehicle. And when the, he first went in there to do this, it was like 10 or 12 years ago. You know, he said, I want to go out on a driving test. And they said, well, sir, you don't need to. You just need to fill out your application to get a, a renewed license. And he said, I'm 90 years old. Give me a test. Like, you're just giving out driver's license to you? Like, my grandma hasn't driven a car in, like, 15 years. She has a driver's license because that's her form of ID, so she just keeps renewing it. My grandmother could technically, legally operate a motor vehicle right now. And to me, that is the most terrifying notion in the entire world. I love my grandmother more than life. But that woman hasn't driven a car since, like, before Obama became president. Anyway... Please just operate cars safely. Like, don't text and drive. Don't drink and drive. It's not worth it for so many reasons. 
And just, like, give a shit about yourself and also give a shit about other people on the road. Like, the reason he got stopped for DUI this time was because he drove his car into a curb and then left it standing there smoking. And then when he got arrested for being over the legal limit for alcohol, he showed them his World Series ring and said... I'll read it verbatim. As reported by Jeff Passan, ESPN, Upon being arrested, LaRusa stated... I had one glass of wine while at dinner with my friends. Before searching this person and placing him in the rear of my patrol vehicle, LaRusa said, Do you see my ring? I asked LaRusa what he was talking about. LaRusa stated, I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. <laughs> That's the best. A Hall of Famer baseball person. While placing him in the rear of my patrol vehicle, LaRusa stated, I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. I read that in a uh, in a Hulk Hogan voice. Brother. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, you're trying to embarrass me. I advise LaRusso that I will not embarrass him and that he would be treated with utmost respect. So, like, this is my favorite do you know who I am that I've ever heard. Just, I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. It's literally Gretchen Wieners being like, and I don't think my father, the founder of Toaster Strudel, would be too pleased to hear about this. Or, like, you know, Draco Malfoy and Harry Potter being like, my father will hear about this. Like, This story just got so much worse. And, like, White Sox fans already weren't happy with the hiring. White Sox players and staff in the organization reportedly weren't happy with the hiring just because they didn't feel like LaRusso was a good fit. I mean, this is a young team. Like, I legitimately said to you, I was like, they would probably go for Cora, and honestly, he'd be a great fit for them. Tony LaRusso is old baseball, and there's nothing wrong with that except for the fact that He really does not fit. Think about how much has changed in the world in the last nine years. The one thing I will say, like, I do not feel bad for him in terms of he chose to drink and drive. The one thing that is insane and kind of sad is he finished his managerial career in 2011, winning a World Series with the Cardinals. And now either he will be the most ridiculous manager in Major League Baseball this year if the White Sox keep him, or for the second year in a row, Major League Baseball will see a manager who has been hired and fired between the World Series ending and spring training beginning without managing a single baseball game. And that is both a really big indicator of how messy Major League Baseball is lately, and also just very sad for the game of baseball, because I feel like every headline that people are talking about on social media for baseball, and look, we're podcasting about it, but we're podcasting about it because we love sports and we want them to be better than what they are. And I think that's the biggest thing with baseball right now is that anytime somebody sees something in the media about baseball, it's something bad. Cheating, domestic abuse, performance-enhancing drugs, work stoppages due to the pandemic where baseball is trying to needle money out of their players or refusing to pay minor leaguers. The Yankees today cutting ties with four minor league affiliates and having them find out via social media because they didn't even have the courtesy to give them a phone call. And to me, that's like a huge problem because when I was a kid, there were great baseball stories in the in the newspaper. You know, you'd get the newspaper from the front step and you'd see pictures of Pedro Martinez on the front page or, you know, Nomar hitting home runs on his birthday. It was exciting. Like I used to cut newspaper articles out of the globe and save them. And like, if you're a person now who is reading about sports and you flip over, you know, you click onto the sports page on a website or you still happen to get the newspaper like my parents do, the only main things that you're hearing about are bad things. And so, you know, a person who 
didn't grow up a diehard lifelong fan is just gonna be like what the hell do people see in this game because yeah. all i see is crap we're realists this isn't a perfect ideal world social media and just the way society is now we definitely have a lot more access to players staffers coaches for better or for worse and obviously it's easier to expose the negative sides of their personalities or what they do there are a lot of guys back in the heyday who maybe their personal lives weren't really aired out and they weren't really the best guys and we got that but this is all stuff that is avoidable like Don't drink and drive. If you do drink and drive and get arrested, don't act like an asshole. It's 2020. The shit's gonna come out. You can't do anything in this world today without getting caught and someone hearing about it and tweeting. I mean, and also just like for Major League Baseball, you know, because you have so much bad press, you better make the most out of the good things that you do have. You know, like if Tatis is hitting a grand slam swinging on a 3-0 pitch, First of all, Jace Tingler, shut up. Enjoy the fact that your young player made you look like a competent manager in your first year managing in a big league team. And Major League Baseball, stop talking about unwritten rules. They're fucking unwritten. Just enjoy Fernando Tatis hitting absolute bombs every single night. Like, what is your problem? Do you not want joy? Please explain to me why you do not enjoy your own game. I don't get it. The thing about unwritten rules is I can't wait, and I'm not wishing death upon anyone, but I... Since you guys didn't write this shit down, when you die, we're not going to fucking keep it going. This shit's not written down. An unwritten rule literally doesn't exist to us. I'm sorry. We live in an age where everything, like, you know, they always say... Give me bat flips. The internet is forever. Okay, cool. So if you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. Because you know what? Everything that's ever been written down, and I know this because people all the time will be like, was this you in 2016 saying you didn't (laughs) like so-and-so? Yeah, cool. Four years ago, I had a different opinion. Fuck off. My point being, you know... If you write something down in this day and age, it probably exists somewhere. Unwritten rules were never written down. So you're just a bunch of old, angry guys with photos of cars as your profile pictures on Twitter complaining about a young stud who hit better than you ever could have dreamed of when you were in JV baseball. Okay, shut up. Like, it's enough. It's so played out. Literally, for the love of God, please let the kids play. Like, Major League Baseball has been saying let the kids play for, like, what, two years now? That's been their slogan. But every time the kids play, somebody is upset, and they ruin it for everybody. Well, hey, you know what? We just need to come around to the fact that bat flips and pimping out home runs are such horrible classless acts. But if you want to go get cocked with your friends and ride around, that's fine. It's whatever. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next few days. I personally think the White Sox will stand with their guy for better or for worse. How that impacts them is to be seen. We already know how Marcus Stroman feels. It's turned off at least one free agent pitcher from the team. Stroman today in a Twitter exchange with a fan said... Multiple fans. I'm paraphrasing, but no amount of money could get him to sign for the White Sox and play for a guy like that. I respect that. Yeah, I mean... So much, honestly. Do you? I mean, also, Stroman's a good pitcher. He doesn't need to go to the White Sox to begin with. I just feel bad because, you know, as usual, what happens is something bad goes wrong at the highest level of a team, like of a franchise, and the people that end up hurting are usually the players and the fans and lower level, no-name employees who have to deal with the fallout. When people are attacking, like, the Red Sox Twitter account, for example... You're not talking to John Henry and Tom Werner or Sam Kennedy, Chaim Bloom. Like, 
you're talking to like their social team who are literally just paid to bear the brunt of the fan base's ire. And so like what you're doing when you're telling the Red Sox Twitter to fuck itself is you are just making a bunch of social employees feel like crap. And don't do that because the Red Sox social team is they are They're so great. good. Don't take them for granted. And also, it's pretty hard to, like, I mean, think about it this way. The last two years, like, working for the Red Sox has not been easy. You know, my boyfriend was with them for four years. He left after the 2019 season to take another job. It's hard to work for that team, especially in this city with these crazy people, when this team is not doing well because fans exist and they care. So they let you have it. So the same level of love that these social accounts were getting in 2018, guess what? In 2019 and 2020, they're getting the same outpouring or even worse of what the hell is going on with this team? Why are all of our pitchers injured? You know, so-and-so sucks. Do this. Do that. Don't trade Mookie. Trade Mookie. You suck for trading Mookie. Bring back Mookie. Bring back Cora. Don't bring back Cora. And it's like, well, cool. You realize you're talking to people whose job it is to pretend to be the Red Sox as like kind of the man behind the curtain in Wizard of Oz, but also they have no say in whether they bring back Sally, the social media coordinator, can't do shit for you. You know, okay, this was a total tangent, but it's important to us because we are two people who deal with a lot of shit on social media. And like, if you're responding to the Red Sox, like telling them that you hate them, like, first of all, okay, cool. They're still super rich and like, you know, even though they're not winning, they're still a really successful franchise. So, like, I, they probably don't care. But you are being mean to a very real human being who has to read your tweets. The same way, if you're mean to me and Al on Twitter, you are being or mean. Or email. Or email. I'm so tempted to just air out your email address, but, like, <laughs> fuck you. I'm not going to get into details with you, but just. You don't have to get into details, but the one thing I want to say is this person sent Al an email and called her, like, what either low class low, low class okay dishonest so low class the all one... i did was aggregate a new york post report about the red sox being interested in dj lemayhu she tried to insinuate that i was insinuating that the red sox had reached out to him which is not what i wrote it's not what the new york post reported i literally like you guys know i work for nesson i can't make stretches with the red sox if it's if what i'm writing is not completely accurate in terms of what's being reported i can't write it like that's our parent club john henry pays my bills i am under no such restrictions no she's not that's why you'll sometimes see me just chilling here when she goes on her tirades but (laughs) like this lady didn't read my story at all and came at my life the amount of time that people take to come into like our mentions or our emails like i get emails from people who they literally take the time to make a fake email address to then leave a comment on girlatthegame.com not realizing that what they're doing is giving me their IP address which is traceable and also like you literally spent all this time making a fake email address to send me an email calling me the c word or whatever it's like dude don't you have anything better to do but also like I, I had a twitter exchange myself the other day where I tweeted something so dumb you know on Friday I was like Alex Cora just won the election like Okay, clearly Alex Cora didn't win the election. Like, it was just me being obnoxious because guess what? Last week was unbearable to be, like, alive in America because it was just a constant state of stress and terror. And I slept, like, three hours over the last two nights of the work week. And they were like, you're a fucking terrible person. How dare you support this team? Like, you're a mouthpiece for the front office. And I was laughing so hard because... 
I've been called a lot of things over the last three years on Twitter, but one thing I've never been accused of is being a mouthpiece for the Red Sox. Like, I am usually critiqued for being too critical of the Boston Red Sox. Like, most people are like, oh, you're too negative. You should be more supportive, which to them, I'm like, okay, what exactly would you like me to support? I support Xander Bogarts. I support Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale, Rafael Devers. 99% of this actual specific team I support. The Red Sox front office, I do not support. They've made terrible decisions that have impacted you. And if you actually stop to take a minute to think about it, you'd be like, oh, you're right. I actually also am not happy with the Red Sox. Maybe I just don't like Gabrielle, which is fine. But just recognize that most of the time, the people who are coming after me are actually coming after me because they don't like that I'm the person saying it. Because they'll agree with like 15 other people who are saying similar things. But all of a sudden, if I say it, like, I'm wrong or I'm a bitch. And the funny thing is when Al said to me that this person had emailed them to call them low class, I realized the most frequent thing that I see when she and I get harassed or any other woman in sports that I'm friends with gets harassed is that most people aren't telling us that they don't agree with us. They're telling us that we're wrong because we're women. And I know that because of the language that they use. Like, this isn't in our heads. It's that if someone doesn't like what Jeff Passan's saying about whatever's happening this week in baseball, AJ Hinch getting hired by the Tigers, for example, they're just going to be like, no, Jeff, this ain't it. Or like, I don't think so. But if I say it, I'm a dumb bitch who should get back into the kitchen, or I'm not classy, or, you know, I don't know anything. It's not that what I'm saying is wrong. I mean, yeah, maybe like if it's a factually untrue statement, like if I say the wrong stat, then maybe I'm wrong. But like if it's an opinion, it's not that my opinion is supposedly wrong. It's that you just don't like that I'm the one having this opinion because you don't want to hear from me. So to that, I say, if you don't want to hear from me, don't follow me. Like, I don't understand why it's so hard for people to just see something they don't like and then just keep scrolling without feeling the need to say something to darken someone else's day and also, like, darken your own soul a little bit. Why is it so hard for people to just keep going? So this person was like, well, your mouthpiece for the Red Sox. And I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Thank you so much for the laugh. And they were like, you're a terrible person. You're a moron. And just, like, starts going off. And I was like, well, actually, like, you know, if you listen to Locked On Red Sox, like, for months, I've been saying, I don't think the Red Sox should bring Cora back. Like, I'm un- I'm unsure about it. You know, I wish that there was somebody else that was, you know, like a Cora without the drama, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I actually agree with you that this wasn't the greatest decision. And I said, and if you don't believe me, you can listen to the podcast. And they were like, well, I think you're a f- terrible fucking person. So why would I listen to your podcast? And I was like, well, because maybe if you listened to the podcast, you would see that I actually agreed with you and then you wouldn't think I was a terrible fucking person. Like, there's no benefit in it to me from your one listen of my podcast. Like, it's not like you are going to get me over the top and I suddenly make a million dollars because you listened specifically to my podcast. Like, it's no, it's that I was actually in agreement with you until you started calling me a fucking moron. And uh, for like literally two hours, she was in my mentions and my friend Meg's mentions just being like how dare you tell me to listen to your podcast and Meg and I were like dude are you okay anyway you know it's just stuff like that just you know what like if you see something you don't like on Twitter and it does not actually impact you in any way shape or form do us do us a favor and just like keep scrolling yeah and also like 
you're just adding negativity to people's lives. And also, like, you're spending your own time being negative. And, like, maybe that's fun for you, but this world doesn't need it. And you know what? I want to talk about something I actually like, something that makes me happy, something that's good, something that... Sports gambling. Sports gambling. So the NFL is continuing this week. The Patriots have actually won a football game. As my dad said, they are bad, but they are not. Lose to the Jets bad, which is comforting, I guess. I don't know. There are a few surprise teams at the top of the standings. The Cowboys are not one of them. The Steelers are, are undefeated for the first time ever in franchise history. Through. Even though apparently Ben Roethlisberger's on the COVID list now. Interesting. That's true. And is perpetually banged up while playing. But, like, it's that was surprising to me because, like, the Steelers are always a really good team, like, historically. And but they've never been undefeated this far into a season before. Yeah. All right. So, cool. Pretty cool. Hey, I wouldn't have bet on that. All right. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, you know, we might not be at games this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. You know, the schedules change. The players that play change. You know, things are changing all the time. We're playing football and other sports during COVID. But Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. They are no joke when it comes to making sure that you are right on top of the game, almost as if you were actually there betting in person, which you couldn't even do. So, I mean, it's, in a way, it's kind of better. You save yourself the bad weather at Gillette, but you can still bet on the Patriots. So there are always more options to wager at Bet Online than anywhere else on the internet. Head to Bet Online today, and you can take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests because they are Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Oh man, we love them. They're great. They are great. So yeah, check out Bet Online, and we're done with the negativity. Well, actually, no, no we're, we're going. Not. But this we're isn't not. negativity. This is sad. This is this is different because the, we want to end today's episode by pivoting to the NBA. For starters. Free agency is going to start in a couple weeks. Yes, so we have the draft coming up November 18th. Two days later. Isn't that literally like next week? Next weekend? Sure is. Oh my God. Guys, Thanksgiving's in like two weeks. I don't even know what's happening. And get ready for this. Two days later, free agency window opens up. Teams can start negotiating with players. Two days later, November 22nd, they can start signing players. So shit is about to get crazy buckle up. And then, guys... We have Thanksgiving and like immediately after that because time is 10 seconds long. And I know that because tonight I looked at Al across the table and it was 5.28 p.m. And I was like, hey, are you going to be hungry later? And she's like, yeah, okay, we'll have dinner. Somehow 10 minutes later it was 6.40 p.m. And then like 15 minutes after that it was 9.45 p.m. I have no idea what's happening. Anyway, so on December 22nd, the NBA will be back. Shortest offseason ever. I love it. Celtics for Christmas. Hopefully a healthy Kemba Walker will be under the proverbial Boston Celtics Christmas tree waiting to astound us with his amazingness. Yeah, so so much to look forward to there. Except. Um, so much to talk about there, but we're going to hold off until after the draft. One, because I feel super unprepared this year going into the draft. You know draft I have no idea what's because going on. I don't know. I mean, this draft class as it is didn't have a lot of huge star-studded names. 
that I don't believe that that means it's a shitty draft class by any means. I think it's actually pretty deep. I just think it's not star heavy. But without March Madness, as opposed to this podcast, which is right. star heavy. <laughs> Hell yeah. what up? Guys, my last name is Star, in case you did not realize that from my very lame dad joke. But it is my dad's birthday, so I had to make a dad joke. Shout out Mr. Star. Rabbi Star. So we, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to sit here and break down Celtics draft strategies with you because, as we said, sad things to talk about. I mean, I would have bet my life that Tommy Heinsohn would have outlasted me in the, on this planet, but what a life he lived, 86 years old, legendary Celtics player, Hall of Famer, legendary Celtics coach, went on to broadcast for the team literally up until this year. He was still calling games when he could. I know he had a lot of health problems, but it's just such a sad, sad day. I mean, this man so incredible, was an active member of the Celtics organization for each and every single one of their 17 championships. Each of their 21 NBA Finals appearances, so not even just the championships. I mean, he was there for those heartbreaking finals losses, as few as they were. I know I always tie things back to baseball, but it feels fitting because Tommy Heinsohn was the Johnny Pesky of the Boston Celtics. If you think about it, Johnny Pesky played and worked in the Red Sox organization for six decades, which is how long Tommy Heinsohn was associated with the Boston Celtics as a player, coach, and broadcaster. Guess who else was a player, coach, and broadcaster? Johnny Pesky. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking about these two legends of Boston, like these two people who just felt like they were always going to be around. You know, you always pictured Johnny Pesky being with the Red Sox. You always pictured Tommy Heinsohn being with the Celtics. He helped form the Players Association He's in the Hall of Fame. He's an absolute legend. Just such a sad day, but I could not get off Twitter listening to the funny anecdotes and the tributes that were coming out. I mean, first and foremost, like, my heart breaks for Mike Gorman today, his partner in the broadcast booth for all of my lifetime. What is it, 36 years? I mean, he told the most amazing stories about... A side of Tommy that not a lot of people got to see. I mean, one of my favorite stories I heard today was Mike talking about for his wedding, Tommy's oh, yeah. gift was... Like a painting, like right? A, a beautiful painting. If you didn't know, Tommy was like an incredible watercolor painter. And he surprised Mike and his wife by inviting them to one of his art shows. And it's it's funny because Mike Gorman's wife was like, "Hey, Mike, I don't want to make a big deal of the, about this, but like, <laughs> Tommy didn't get. I it. just realized Tommy didn't get a shit for our wedding. Like, what the hell, man? So Gorman was like, you know what? You have like a year. He, right, he you have still, a year. You have that's, a year. That's to get, the manner thing. You have yes. a year. But he invites Gorman and his wife to one of his art shows, and they go and prominently displayed and. All of Tommy's work is an easel with a watercolor painting of the inn that Mike Gorman was married at. And just Gorman really started to choke up telling that story. He told a bunch of other funny ones about how the first day they called a Celtics game together, Gorman showed up. I mean, for those of you who don't know, if you're broadcasting a game, 
There's probably a big note card in front of you that's color coded. It has or now it's like a meticulously computer. crafted notes that you're probably not going to use, but you want to have just in case. Bullet points about players, where they went to school, random little anecdotes. And Gorman shows up, and apparently Tommy thought he was a little overprepared <laughs> because basically, I'm paraphrasing. Heinsen looked down at Gorman's note and was like, what the hell is this shit? And Gorman's like, oh, it's my notes. And he's like, no, you don't need that. And, like, crumples it and throws it over the rafters of the old Boston Garden. And is like, we're just going to watch the game and talk about what we see. And it was so fitting because Gorman said, and that's what we did for the next 30-something years. Absolute staple in the Boston sports community. Like... I can't believe that we're going to be watching Celtics broadcast next year without him. And my heart breaks for the NBC Sports Boston crew that was so fortunate to get to work so closely with him. I was around Tommy a little bit in at Celtics games. You see him in the media dining area here and there. Um, I feel like I always saw him with a tuna sandwich or something. But um, just this larger-than-life figure that you really felt the presence of while you were with him and it's just he was Celtics history you know like he lived all of it it's also just crazy I mean I feel like you know when people talk about the Celtics they talk about him they talk about Bill Russell they talk about Larry but I forgot he won rookie of the year over Bill Russell yeah eight NBA titles in nine years including seven in a row and the only people who have more championship rings during their playing careers are Bill Russell and Sam Jones. Like, But I think because he went on to become such a beloved broadcaster, like such a fiery figure, you know, always like... The sh- ultimate homer. The, the ultimate, ultimate homer, homer, shouting at refs, you know, making fun of LeBron James for crying. Um, that was like a crazy video today, you know, just all of that. Like, I, I think people forgot exactly like how talented... He was as a player, you know, because as people's like my dad actually talked to me about this tonight because I called him for his birthday. We were talking about the TV show The West Wing, which is something we both love so much. And we were talking about how these people, a lot of them, if they weren't like super famous outside of it, like Martin Sheen, for example, who played the president, you know, what they're largely remembered for in their careers is being on The West Wing. So they're on this show for seven years or part of seven years. But then that's what they're remembered for, like the rest of their life, you know. And I think with him, the interesting thing with Tommy is that, you know, for a lot of people, he was the broadcaster. You know, he wasn't the player because the playing was such a long time ago already. I mean, he was the rookie of the year in 1957. That's the year my dad was born on this day in 1957. My dad was a small child watching Tommy Heinsohn play basketball. You know, and for us, like, obviously... We certainly we, don't remember. The Tommy game. Heisen was broadcasting for the Celtics before for we years born. before we were even born. So, you know, it's just, and then and the same thing, like, you know, we don't remember Johnny DePesky, the player. We remember Johnny Pesky, the, you know, kind of coach slash special assistant guy who was just kind of Boston's grandfather. And Tommy, I kind of feel like we had two grandfathers in Boston. You had Tommy Heinsohn and you had Johnny Pesky. You had one of each. And Tommy was like the fiery grandfather who was always yelling at the TV. And Johnny Pesky was kind of the grandfather who, you know, would kind of take you out to a ball game. 
Yeah, he brought you fishing. You know, you watch you watched crazy calm. TV. You watch crazy games on TV with Tommy Heinz and Grandpa in the chair. Tommy and screaming was the at grandfather, the TV. sneaking you bud heavies when you're like 12 years old. And Johnny Pesky's the one who like always had a candy in his cardigan pocket for you and took you fishing. And it just feels like an end of an era in Boston that now they're both gone because those are the kind of people you only get from homegrown personalities and. You don't see homegrown career personalities as much in sports anymore. I mean, certainly not one with that just encyclopedic knowledge because, like he, like we said, and like different areas of Celtics working for the history, team. He is it. He lived it. I mean, it's just it just feels like they don't make them like that anymore. You know, you don't have guys like Ted Williams and Carl Yastrzemski playing their entire career for the Boston Red Sox. You know, you don't have players like Bill Russell playing their entire career for the Boston Celtics like you know even Michael Jordan like he retired from the Bulls but then he came back a few years later with the Wizards we all know what Tom did to us yeah and look at Tom Brady's like down and became a Florida man you know out there preaching how water prevents sunburns which it doesn't by the way it's just a very sad day it's a very sad week immeasurable it's an immeasurable loss we also lost Alex Trebek this week Oh, that fucking hurt. Which too. hurt. I grew up watching Jeopardy with my grandma. Me too. She but would with sh- my grandfather. She would shout all of the answers at the TV. She knows all the answers. I always told her she should go on. Loved when they got into sports. I loved the Kareem scene where he got his own airplane quote wrong. But it's just, I mean, and we lost one of the co creators of Scooby Doo this week. In the last three days, we have lost incredible people. And this whole year, we have lost so many incredible people. Of course, we lost hundreds of thousands of people to coronavirus. And I'm just, I know that it's not a reset button, but oh my God, I can't wait for 2020 to be over because. I genuinely cannot think of a worse year in global history and American history than this one. It has been tough. I don't I don't really know what else to say. I mean, we don't... R.I.P. Tommy and Alex. And guys, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. It's really exciting that we finally got to record an actual full episode together for the first time since we started this podcast i mean we before we launched the podcast we recorded the promos together but that was eight months ago so we've actually been recording this podcast in different homes with like uber conference and zoom and microphones and so this was a really i mean it was a sad week on so many levels but it was really a treat that we actually got to do it together and And see each other Our plan is to do more of that because today, with just, like, a few hours together, like, the creative juices were flowing. (laughs) Um, Guys, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and and TikTok at Girl at the Game. All one word, no uppercase, no nothing. Just Girl at the Game on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating if you want. Tell your friends. Interact with us on social media. But uh, just... Fair warning, like, if you're just going to come on social media and tell us, like, to kill ourselves, we're not going to respond. So, uh, I'm, I might respond if you get me mad enough. <laughs> if you get me mad enough. But that's just me. Yeah. That's the last thing I'll say is, like, at this point, I have turned a page where, like, I just don't care anymore. I lost, like, 600 followers in the last week because I was tweeting about the election. And you know what? Good riddance. So, uh, yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. And, um, 
whether it's us or just like anybody you talk to on social media or like in the real world, if you are one of the people fortunate enough to get to like interact with human beings in real life, just like be, be nice, nice to people. I don't, I mean, people think I'm so mean on social media when I'm like responding to mean people, but like you, you try getting told to kill yourself like once a week or more and like see how you like it. You know, like I don't, I don't seek out drama with people, but if you come into my mentions and like, say horrible things to me like do you not think I'm allowed to defend myself like I don't really understand the logic there like people are always like well you should be nice to people and it's like well first of all I'm nice to people unless they're mean first our listeners are like these broads are so triggered today (laughs) you know what like it's been like two years we are we're triggered it's been like two years of this I, I I'm I'm like so over the idea that like I should be nice no matter what people say to me. Like, I've had people say to me, go back to Auschwitz. I've had people say to me, they hope I get raped. I've had people say to me that everything I have in my life is because of my dad or my boyfriend, which, like, my dad's a rabbi. Like, he taught me to love baseball, but, like, I'm not really sure what rabbis have to do with, like, actual baseball. But the point being, like, I have taken so much crap from people who aren't even brave enough to put their name and face on Twitter And I'm just over it because I don't owe you anything. You know, I put myself out there because I love sports and I love interacting with interesting people. But, like, I don't – I realized last week, like, when people were just, like, coming at me for, like, not tweeting about sports. Like, we didn't talk about this, but I want to touch on it really quickly. Like, the amount of people last week and the week before, you know, who were saying to me, I only come here for your sports tweets. Like, I want you to talk about sports. And I was like, okay, cool. Noted. fucking ESPN for that. Or well, well, first of all. Reporter, House of Highlights. Right. Go to one of those accounts. But also, like, I don't exist for you. I'm sorry that you don't like the political tweets. But, like, I don't know who you are. And I don't owe you anything. And, like, my Twitter account is for me to tweet what I want to tweet. So if I want to tweet about baseball, I will. If I want to tweet about politics, or you know, if I want to tweet about dogs, I can do that, and if you don't like that, you can unfollow me, or you can just not look at my page, or you can keep scrolling, but, like, the fact that people think that they have some kind of authority to say to you, I come here for your tweets, well, do you hear yourself? You're coming to my page. Can we reintroduce the concept of, like, leaving people alone and just, like, not engaging with things? You don't have to engage with everything. Like, not everything's an attack on you. In fact, most of the time, here's a concept, most things actually aren't about you because the funny thing about social media is we feel like we kind of know everyone just because we see a name on Twitter or you see someone on your timeline. But the funny part is most of the time you're talking to people you don't actually know and you still think it's your business and you still think we asked for your opinion or you still think that you are an authority on something or you still think that it's your right to tell someone how to live their life. And guess what? If what we're doing doesn't actually directly impact you, and 99.99% of the time, I guarantee it doesn't because we're literally tweeting out words that have no impact on you. Just scroll. I mean, it's really not that hard. It's not a crazy concept to say, me caring about something that you don't care about, if you don't care about it, then why are you responding to it? Just go do something with your time. This is the end of the episode. If you listen to the show, you know we never have a good send-off. But, oh my god, I guess our send-off until January is fuck 2020. Uh-huh. Let's go get them, uh-huh.
Scott, little mama.